0: This is Base Layer brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David and this is your new episode with Hugh from Nexus Mutual. Nexus Mutual is building a decentralized alternative to insurance. They are using blockchain technology, specifically Ethereum to build a mutual, which is a risk-sharing pool, to return the power of insurance to the people. The platform will be built uh, on a public chain and will allow anyone to become a member and buy cover. It replaces the idea of a traditional insurance company because it is wholly owned by the members. The model encourages engagement as members will get economic incentives for participating in risk assessment, claims assessment, and governance. This is a super interesting thing that's happening in this space, using Ethereum and some other smart contract platforms to actually build insurance platforms. And so this was a great conversation, one that you're really going to find very interesting, as I know I did, because there's a few different Uh, competitors in this space right now. Hugh came from traditional finance. He was at Munich Re and a few other stops along the way. And so definitely take a listen, learn, ask questions, and check it out. Again, nothing on Base Layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you'll hear the conversation with Hugh from Nexus Mutual. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Hugh Carp with Nexus Mutual with us today. Hugh, how are you?
1: Yeah, very good. Thanks. i um, great to be here.
0: It is excellent to have you. Um, I always love getting references uh, from people I trust within the ecosystem. And as I was telling Hugh before nexus mutual is a company that i've been looking at actually for the last few months uh something really interesting is happening within blockchain and crypto as it relates to insurance and nexus is uh working on that right now so before i get too far into it uh hugh if you could we'd love to get a little background on you and then obviously just to get a very high level about what nexus mutual is you have a really great background in what i would define as more traditional finance coming from munich Re and some other places so if you could give us a little background about yourself, and then about Nexus, and then we're going to talk about kind of why you pivoted into the world of crypto.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so I'm a I'm an actuary by training, unfortunately. Unfortunately, um, and I guess I've been working in insurance for about uh, fifteen years. Um, spent about ten years in Australia um, before moving to London and, and joined Munich Re at that point. Uh, worked for them for about um, about six years. Um, eventually was the CFO for their um, life operations in the in the UK and Ireland so yeah I'm a um, I'm an insurance kind of guy by training and profession I can't code um, have done some coding in the past but yeah not, not an expert coder but kind of understand the tech and um, yeah I guess that's that's my background on the insurance side um, I guess in terms of Nexus uh, what we're I guess what we're trying to do is really um, bring back the old way of doing things um, in the insurance world. So mutuals were kind of how insurance started um, millennia ago. It's just a group of people coming together and sharing risk with each other um, because they all become, uh, I guess, more resilient or stronger as a group together. Um, And that's kind of the fundamentals of what what Nexus is about. Um, I guess um, I'll go into a bit more further detail on specific questions, but essentially it's just coordinating individuals as a group and, we've now got a technology that can do that in a really efficient way. And so um, that's why it kind of makes a lot of sense.
0: So from your perspective, obviously spending so much time within the insurance sector, is it broken right now? <laughs>
1: I don't think so. Um, it's, insurance is its a very old business. It's built on paper and old IT systems, and um, it's, it's kind of um, stuck in its ways a little bit. Um, but to be honest, it doesn't actually really have to innovate that much um, right now. Um, I mean, it's got these massive uh, barriers to entry, competitive moats. Um, you've, got, you've got massive amount of regulation on one side. You've got um, risk, the need for a large amount of risk capital as well. And you also have this um, need to build up distribution networks. So you've kind of got um, three really big moats. Um, and so they don't actually need to do much on the innovation side. Um, they can really just play around the edges, keep keep tabs on things, sit and wait. If anything su- successful comes along, they can easily just buy it out because they've got a lot of money. Um, and so they don't actually need to, to do much um, right now. They're not they're not really being being threatened. So um, they're, they're inefficient. They're a bit slow and stuff, but they're naturally also risk averse, um, which is kind of in their nature because. That's that's kind of the the business that they're in. Uh, So so they're not natural innovators. But um, basically, if I was in their position, I'd probably be doing a similar thing. So I can't really blame them.
0: So as I mentioned and as you alluded to, you came from more of a traditional finance background, Munich Re and some other places before that. And then you obviously, over the course of the last few years, have found the world of crypto and blockchain and digital assets. So what we like to do on the show is not necessarily pin down the exact time. However, if I was a guessing man, I would say that it was probably around you know 2011, 2013, as a majority of people say. But if you know, if you could, you know, not necessarily about the timing of when you found either Bitcoin or some other iteration, whether it was Ethereum, but exactly what about the underpinning of the technology? What about distributed ledger technology? What about blockchains alerted you and made you realize that this was a place that you wanted to pivot your career to?
1: Yeah, I guess um, I stumbled across Bitcoin a while back and I was, I guess I was fascinated by the peer to peer nature of it. Um, The fact that you could, you know, transact value um, with individuals without anyone else um, getting in the way. Um, And, and it, it really fascinated me, but I didn't really know what to do with it, um, mainly because um, I wasn't too interested in payments. Um, but then, then Ethereum came along, and of course, um, if you can, if you can write an if-then statement, and you can essentially write an insurance contract, and that was that's my domain um, of um, knowledge. So um, I basically saw that as a way to um, kind of create nexus because. Um, insurance is fundamentally a peer-to-peer business. You know, it's a community sharing risk together. So, um, so that's kind of where where this comes from. Um, and basically, spent a long time trying to work out how to actually how to actually do that um, before before we started building.
0: Got it. So let's get to what Nexus Mutual is. And so let's talk about the who, the what, the why, and specifically the the problems that you guys are trying to solve.
1: Yeah, sure. So I guess there's kind of two, two problems. One One's kind of the big, the big problem from a, um, from a business perspective and one's a specific product that we're starting with. Um, so in terms of the big problem is why Nexus needs to exist or why we think it should exist. Um, essentially, what we're trying to do, do is make the mutual model scalable again. So um, like millennia ago, people used to come together, share risk with each other, um, and they used to kind of trust the elders of the community to to pay claims etc and so that that model worked and and it was quite good but it obviously can't really grow because the, this community on this side of the hill can't tr- trust that community on the other side of the hill um, and insurance is all about, Big scale because the more people you have in the pool, the safer everyone is, and the cheaper the cover for everyone. Um, and so, so basically, what happened over time is essentially you ended up with shareholder companies, insurance companies coming along, being the most kind of efficient vehicle of connecting capital and and customers. And so, um, and so that's the kind of the model that we've kind of mostly ended up with. Mutuals, mutuals exist today, um, and some of them are quite large. But, but by and large, um, the the mutual model's kind of gone by the wayside because it can't access capital. Um, so I guess that's one of the quirky things about mutuals is that they have to grow from grow capital to grow, and they only can get that capital from their, their members, and usually the members aren't deep-pocketed capital markets, which is where the shareholder companies would go. And so what's happened is um, they've kind of disappeared or demutualised, turned into shareholder companies, et cetera. And so kind of that, that fundamental reason has meant that that mutuals can't really grow. They struggle to scale. And so where our, our kind of premise there is essentially that you can use blockchain to, to kind of scale the trust between the different community groups um, and you can also kind of tokenize the membership rights of the mutual um, and essentially allow more flexible capital in. Um, so you can kind of um, kind of break those two kind of restrictions that mutuals have and, and allow it to compete with the big insurance companies in the world.
0: So uh, on your site, you allude to we see a solution to the problem of agency. Can you allude to what the problem of the agency is?
1: Yeah, so... In my mind, insurance companies are just like custodians. Um, they take customers' money, they hold onto it, they invest it, and then they hand it back as claims. Um, and after taking out expenses and profit, so, so there's a massive agency risk like um, you're trusting the insurance company as your agent um, to handle the money appropriately. Um, and, and to make sure that they do that um, and they've got enough money to pay all the claims. Um, in developed nations, it's basically handled by laws and regulations. This is why you need an insurance license. It's why we have kind of detailed capital rules about what assets you can hold and how much capital you need to back the um, policies that you've got um, and also why you have to get like approved people that are skilled enough to run the business. So, so that basically works, um, barring some high-profile failures, but um, but it, it's a very costly model. That's, that's the main downside of it. Um, and so... Well, we're, what we're saying here is that um, instead of instead of trusting the, the having this agency risk, and even trusting the insurance company, you can um, have smart contracts holding the code, uh, smart contracts holding the funds instead, and the rules on how those funds could be used are kind of hard coded in, and you can kind of eliminate the agency risk.
0: Got it. So it says that you're using you know, blockchain technology to build a mutual risk sharing pool to return the power of insurance to the people. So I see that you're using Ethereum, um, and I'm guessing that's because of the maturity of the smart contract platform there. Um, so I'd love to hear your opinions because in other shows that we've had with guests um there is this issue in regards to solidity solidity is not a very easy language it's a newer language that not a lot of developers have necessarily warmed to um and there are other protocols currently right now that offer same type of benefits of a smart contract um, that are not using Ethereum per se. Um, so I'm curious, you know, w- why was it? It was because Ethereum was the kind of the first in line is it because it has the the best liquidity, is it because it's the, the most mature. Um, what about Ethereum uh, made you elect to choose that? Um, I'm guessing it's probably because of the underlying infrastructure that's already there. But could you ever see using a different chain uh, especially with some of the maturation that's happening around it.
1: Yeah, sure. So I guess we started building on Ethereum because it was basically the only option at the time. Um, and it was the most developed. Um, I personally love the community and, and openness and so I have a soft spot for it. But but from a business perspective, we would we would consider moving if better better options come along. Um, but I, I guess I don't really see it happening anytime soon. Um, because from our perspective, Ethereum's network of network effects are way too strong right now. Um, like as an example, we like you can argue about tooling and all the rest of it, but um, like our project uses Make It Ours Die. It triggers um, trading automatically into Uniswap. Um, it's got a governance platform built on um, GovWorks, and we need investment options like other ERC-20s like Compound Die um, to, to kind of invest the asset pools in. So we've, we basically have to use all of these other protocols and like the composability has massive value. Um, and that's kind of the network effect. Um, and so basically, um, even if you have a technically better platform on a, f- a few different items, from our perspective, all of those protocols would need to move or be adequately replicated on another chain first for us to move. Um, and so that's, that's a pretty high barrier um, to move. Doesn't mean it's impossible, but um, it, is, it is quite hard to get
0: across. Interesting. Um, so I want to talk more about that uh, down the road um, because I know that you also, I believe you have a token, so I want to hear more about that. Um, but going further into this, the model encourages engagement as members will get economic incentives for participating in risk assessment, claim assessment, and governance. So I'm guessing there is a staking mechanism um and it sounds like from looking at your site there's some sort of a portal to participate as a risk assessor um and so i'm curious how does one become a risk assessor what kind of background does that person or entity have to have how do you prove that um there's a lot to unpack here um and then there's more questions i have in terms of you know the kind of the staking mechanisms you know, so let's let's talk first about the kind of this this risk assessment, claims assessment, governance. How does you know? How does one become a risk assessor? Um, and let's talk more about the proof of stake model.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so basically, you can um, join Nexus Mutual as a member, and then you kind of get whitelisted in. Um, anyone can do that, though. Though there is a KYC process, um, and once you're in, then you can. Um, by the uh, native token. Um, And then once you have the token, you can participate in the network. So one of the um, first things to do um, that you can do optionally and anyone can do it um, is be a risk assessor. And that's essentially a process where you stake the native token against specific smart contract systems um, that you think are secure. So for example, if you think MakerDAO is pretty secure, then you can stake your tokens against that. Um, and what happens after that is the price of cover drops for other people to um, when they buy cover. And when others do buy cover, you can earn commissions or staking rewards um, from that process. And if there's a claim, then some of your stake can be burned. So basically this is very similar in um, a lot of ways to a prediction market. Um, you don't have to have skills, you can kind of gamble it as you if you wanted to, but um, we think that we'll attract um, security audit type um, individuals that have those types of skills, and they could stake and earn additional rewards for kind of participating in the platform and looking at um, particular smart contracts. Right. So, that's, so that's 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 me, kind of the risk assessment let, one.
0: Let me dig in there a little bit. So there's this notion, you know, here in the states, and it kind of alludes to this as well too. So we have this thing with accreditation and being a qualified purchaser, where you have to say that you are a certain wealthy amount. You have to have over a few hundred thousand dollars in wealth or over a million dollars to be a qualified purchaser, et cetera, et cetera. There is this wealth that is associated with being able to participate in alternative markets, in, you know, alternative, you know, in direct markets, venture, et cetera, et cetera. And so, You know, the money aspect, again, relates to, say, you know, with staking. So if you can stake more and then you can be an oracle or you can be, you know, something in the hierarchy of other proof of stake models out there. Does that necessarily, especially when you're talking about someone that's maybe like a risk assessor, um, do you think that it would be more practical to have not necessarily like a test, but like a, a questionnaire or something that really kind of shows you and shows the network that that person understands risk and understands the, the kind of the processes that are needed to do this better?
1: I mean, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, es- essentially, where we, our model is preferred to follow the money. Um, if you're willing to put the money down on, on that, um, and we've designed the economic incentive structures to um, accurately, um then then the, then the model should work and so we're kind of leaning towards the kind of prediction market type um type approach we don't we don't actually want to specify who can do what or what skills they need to have or maybe they're they're running an um a test and an algorithm or a program to kind of assess the particular risk of a smart contract and maybe they don't know much about being able to, um, about the actual underlying but they can run a program so we don't, we don't actually mind um who, who does it, if, if just if they're willing to put the money down, then, um, then that kind of feeds into our pricing algorithm.
0: And I'm guessing that with other proof of stake models, that if you are deemed a bad actor of sorts, um, if you are doing things that are on the outliers, that are not really what everyone in the network agrees with, that that person will lose their stake? Is that kind of the similar type of uh, methodologies here?
1: Yeah, exactly. But, um, here it's pretty, um, pretty self-explanatory. If there's a claim on the particular, um, smart contract that you've staked against, um, then your stake can be burned. So your stake gets slowly released over time, um, over 250 days. And if there's a claim within that 250 days, then you can lose part of your stake.
0: And talk about speed. So, you know, Uh, You know, with traditional, you know, kind of insurance models, you know, there is underwriting, there are agents, there are, there's a hierarchy of, you know, when things actually get paid out. You know, with this, do you think, you know, this type of model and using blockchains and Ethereum, do you think that this obviously can make things faster?
1: Yeah, most definitely. I mean, essentially, um, I mean, you don't need blockchain to make things faster. Um, Like, we could have just built a greenfields insurer that's kind of fully automated using centralized databases and stuff and we could have achieved a similar kind of performance to what we've got now but um, we're using the blockchain to kind of address the agency risk issue Uh, but the nice side effect is that we're basically automating the whole process Um, and so therefore the the speeds of underwriting um, and of claims assessment so we we call it risk assessment but that's the underwriting process Um, but the the process of all of those is, is much, much faster, it's, it's fully digitized.
0: So we had Joey on a few months ago talking about Augur and we talked a lot about the wisdom of the crowd and you alluded to the fact that this is very similar to say a prediction market. And so there, unfortunately in this day and age, there is a lot of inputs that go into our brains that, you know, in terms of data, in terms of information, in terms of news, There's a lot of negative biases. There's a lot of things that are not necessarily helping with the wisdom of the crowd, in my opinion. And I think that's shared uh, across the board that You know, there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote, fake news, even though I hate and despise using that terminology. But there is a lot of, you know, kind of information out there that is not necessarily well vetted. And unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, read 280 characters on Twitter and they think they know about a subject or they think they can opine and they think they can make a judgment on things. I'm just curious from a philosophical standpoint, not necessarily as it relates to Nexus, but in terms of you know, the fact that you do rely a little bit on this kind of notion of prediction markets and then wisdom of the crowd. Do you think that we, as a society, do you think that there's a problem with the information that we're starting to use to make judgments? And do you think there's better ways to do that?
1: Um, yes, but <laughs> yes, I think there's a problem, but I'm not sure if there is a better way to do it. I don't know. Um, so, I mean, I think here... I mean in in general I think it's really hard to filter what's um good and bad and um news and what's quality and what's not quality and like that's just a massive cognitive load on on people it's it's hard to basically process that information and come to an unbiased opinion and I mean just generally people are quite hard to um come to unbiased opinions anyway so I think it's um I think it's very um hard to do this in in terms of what I guess we're doing a bit more specifically We've, we've actually, um, what we've constructed, it's more of a very structured, specific um, prediction market-esque way of, do, of doing things. Um, we, we essentially provide a, a kind of a pricing algorithm that kind of describes how battle-tested the code is, and that's kind of a conservative price, price. and then we kind of supplement that by the stakes. Um, so it's kind of like if you've got auto, um, if you're looking at you know, car insurance, um, you basically assume everyone's a, a 20 year old driving a um you know a sports car um and sh- assume they're going to have the same um like claim rates and then and then you let people stake on different people um on different car models and um types of people and and so um you know your, your elderly lady with driving um driving a, a slower car or whatever is, is um, more people are going to stake on that so so that that's that's kind of the 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 idea. So as 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 is it gets a bit more structured in that way rather than completely open like the like the prediction market itself.
0: So I think that feeds into so you alluded to this before but the first product that you guys have is this smart contract cover. So the product will cover unintended uses of code where someone not necessarily the cover purchaser has suffered a, fin- a financial loss on a smart contract. For example, as you state, um, the cover is intended to pay out on events like the DAO hack and the two parity multi-sig wallet issues. Um, and so I'm guessing that, you know, algorithmically speaking, you know, you as I alluded to, you know, there are there are almost like a, a bell curve where you can see, you know, kind of where things should fit in in terms of the middle of the bell. And then there's outliers, there's like your Sigma one, Sigma one, which are outliers. So if someone makes a, a risk assessment on the outliers continuously, I'm guessing that, you know, that might, you know, alert you to an issue. Um, so I'm really curious, I know you alluded to it already, but so at the very core of this, you know, please let us know about the smart contract cover. What is, you know, you know, the intended uses of code, you know, so if, you know, one of these smart contract platforms goes down, um, you know, talk to us a little bit more about the importance of this and why you created this as your first product.
1: Yeah, I mean, we just we, we specifically chose a crypto-native risk and one especially for the Ethereum community because that's where the platform is being built and basically that's where the early users were going to be. Um, we want to get to non-crypto-native risks at um, some point in the future, but we'll definitely start... Um, Continue with crypto-native risks um, the the kind of next little while because that's that's kind of um, where it makes sense. So in terms of smart contract cover specifically, um, I guess if you step back, smart contracts were always kind of designed with intentions. Um, for example, the Parity multi sig contracts were designed to keep funds locked unless their owners <laughs> agreed to use them in some way. Um, they were clearly not designed to have the library contract destroyed and funds permanently. Um, made it um unrecoverable so um it's kind of like it's pretty clear what's happened um and that wasn't the intention of the original code and so we essentially we have a voting process and a uh, staking and a voting process and that's kind of the claims assessment process we were, uh, briefly mentioned before um but that um we we basically designed this because we believe it's a fundamental risk for the ethereum community um the kind of technical risk of smart contracts failing is um so obviously been an issue before and it will continue to be an issue um, and in my opinion every single interesting thing you can do on Ethereum involves smart contracts either holding or transmitting value um, so there's always something to cover and I guess unfortunately we can't code at 100% quality all the time so there's always going to be this residual risk um, and I guess while prevention is obviously the best and that's what we should be aiming for um, we can't do that all the times and sometimes, Sometimes a cure is kind of required, um, so then that's kind of a that's kind of a um, big idea. And I guess in terms of specifics, um, say say you want to earn some interest on Compound or participate in like an Edgeware's lock drop or something like that. Um, there's always a danger. Hopefully, it's quite small, but there's always a danger that the smart contracts could fail and your money will be lost. So, um, for example, you can put your money into Compound, and I can't remember what it is today, but maybe ten percent. Um, but and then you can also buy cover on the back of that, and you can cover that. Um, technical risk Um, and then slightly less than 10%, but you'd still be um, far ahead.
0: So I, I don't want to make this simplistic to the point of idiocracy, but it's a complex for people who are outside of this world. They don't even, they might not understand why you would need that. So I'm going to create an analogy and I want you to obviously tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. But so for instance, if someone goes and they buy plane tickets and they're buying plane tickets to, let's just choose Ibiza. I don't know why, but it's it's summer and you want to be on the beach and you want to have a few cocktails and hear some music in the background. So we're in Ibiza. But before we do that, we're we're buying some plane tickets. And there's always an option to buy insurance on those tickets. You know, God help you if you're if you're sick or something bad happens and you can't you know take the flight. Uh, there's always this kind of insurance package. And so is it similar to that in a sense, whereas, you know, you're on a DeFi product, you mentioned Compound or Dharma, you set up, you know, a CDP, you, you obviously then put in your Ethereum and you obviously have set up a, a loan. Um, is it similar in that type of vein where there's just this underlying protection if something goes awry?
1: Yeah, exactly that. So if you want to use a smart contract of any particular system, then you can, you sh- you can buy some cover. Yeah. Um, and another kind of uh, good example um is is argent so um these guys have developed a smart contract based wallet so it prevents you doing stupid things basically you know whitelists accounts where you can send money to and gives you a recovery process and stuff like that um so it, it's kind of like really useful but because it's smart contract based there's also a non-zero risk unfortunately of the smart contracts failing and not doing what they were designed to do um, and therefore, um, we can. We're looking to partner with those guys. Sargent are looking to buy some cover on behalf of their early users in case something goes wrong. And like, it, it's obviously not the same as this, but it, it has similarities to a bank account with um, like FDIC insurance on the back of it. So yeah. obviously, it's not a. It's not a real bank. It's not real insurance. It's you know, it's a bit different, but it's kind of like a parallel version of the crypto world of of that type of model.
0: So potentially as DeFi grows, if it does, and it seems like it has, so we've seen Compound, we've seen Dharma, we've seen BlockFi, we've seen obviously everything that's happened on Maker. We've seen hundreds of millions of dollars on CDPs now. We've seen the growth of Uniswap. So it sounds like this is a critical element for further adoption for people that might be a little bit less sophisticated, but also want to ensure that there is no loss of of entire capital or that they want to ensure that the systems that are meant to be there to work are obviously working in place. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, as the growth of DeFi continues on, that potentially the use case for Nexus will obviously be correlated to that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, but also, I mean, DeFi is obviously a particular one, but we can cover any smart contract on Ethereum as well. I think if we step right back, um, the way I see it is like, I mean, every single economy needs insurance solutions to become more resilient by kind of, you allow others to take risks. It's like if you're building a rocket, like the people who are building a rocket obviously wanna buy insurance in case something goes wrong because you know they've done all the checks that they can, but still the rocket can blow up. Um, that, that's kind of how we make progress. Um, so, I mean, in my mind, Ethereum is kind of building a new economy and what we're offering is a kind of a fundamental piece of financial infrastructure. Um, for Ethereum to co- cover a key risk um, for itself, so that I mean that's the way we view it. Obviously, DeFi is a big particular use case, but it's also much um, much larger than that. Um, you know, th- there's games or gambling things that you can put your money in, and obviously some the smart contracts could fail as well. So so it has um, it has multiple um, uses, but but DeFi is obviously a big one.
0: Would you also, I'm just digging a little bit further, so supply and logistics. So anytime, this has been one of the first ones over the last few years that a lot of people pointed to is that supply and logistics. So you are a supplier, you're sending you know, a parcel or parcels to a retailer, and you can execute a smart contract at the origination and then have that tracked. And so imagine if it's a parcel of bananas going from the Dominican Republic to the United States. That that can also be tracked for heat and for shock and for things that could potentially damage that parcel. But again, you know, you set up a smart contract at the origination point, point. Um, and so it sounds like that you know, in terms of supply and logistics, that you know, Nexus Mutual can also play a massive role in there too. Correct?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Usually, those contracts have some escrow um, stage in them, so the smart contracts would hold funds and wait for a trigger. Um, right. And of course, the the escrow smart contract could fail as well. So that, that's an, that's another um, yeah another use case as well.
0: That's something that people should really take a look at them because um, this really you know this notion of insurance really has not, from my standpoint, has not really existed up until you know companies like Nexus Mutual have come onto the uh, to the landscape of the last few months. And so as we continue to see further adoption at DeFi and we start seeing more. Corporations using smart contracts uh, for supply and logistics, for mobility, for shipping—that um, obviously could have massive, uh, you know, underlying uh, potential for what the, the guys at uh, Nexus are doing. Um, so moving forward, you know, getting to know Hugh, is uh, as everyone who listens to the show knows. I like to get a little bit more personal to get to know you a little bit more, aside from everything that you're doing at Nexus and your past and uh, you know in finance, um, you know, two of the things that we like to do is kind of point to what are you reading? And it doesn't have to be specifically finance or crypto related. It can be anything it could be sci-fi. It could be romance thrillers. I don't care what it is, but anything that you've read recently that really kind of uh, left a mark on you. Um, and you think other people might enjoy and then music. Um, and I think this is interesting because it really tells about a person's personality You know, if you are working and you like to listen to, you know, metal, and I always pick on my friend Jeremy at Casa about that, because I think it's just an amazing thing. Um, But, you know, if, you know, there are certain music elements that you like to listen to while working or traveling, um, you know, that would be great. So what are you reading? And then also, what are you listening to?
1: Yeah, so I actually don't have much time for reading right now. Um, I tried reading radical markets, but, but struggled a lot. Um, it's probably the last thing I tried reading, um, so there's probably not too much interesting going on there. Um, but um, on the music side, I, can't, I have a wide range of tastes. I kind of listen to anything from jazz up to heavy metal, actually. So um, stoner rock, punk, a whole bunch of those types of things. Um, all of the Seattle sound from the '90s is probably um, that's my age group, so um, that's that's what I what I listen
0: to a lot. Nice. Hey, Jeremy, you have a new friend. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And, and <laughs> and also, next, next time I say him, I'll try and, um, I'll try and catch up <laughs> and try yeah, to um, switch, yeah. switch nights.
0: Nathaniel Whittemore is also a, uh, a middle fan too, and I think there's a few others out there, so you're amongst good company. Um, so the other things that we like to do you know, with our guests is give them an opportunity to point people where they can actually start participating, um, learning more, uh, educating themselves more about what you're doing. So if there's a place where they can go, if they can participate in Nexus, you know, as we alluded to, there are ways um, to potentially become you know, a risk assessor and other things, you know, tell people where they can go, learn more and how they can participate if they want to.
1: Yeah, sure. So just head to, head to our website and there's um, there's two major kind of um, links there. One takes take you to the app, um, which you kind of sign up as a member and then you can get involved in the various processes from uh, buying cover to risk assessment to claims assessment and the governance as well. Um, but, um, but also, I guess the other big one is um, we spend a lot of time on our documentation just explaining what we're doing because there are kind of a lot of elements to it. Um, and I guess it is relatively complex. So um, we tried to make them as readable as possible. So if, if you want to just dive in and get a better understanding, then I think that's a, that's a really good place to start.
0: Amazing. Well, this was Hugh Karp at Nexus Mutual. This was a conversation I was really looking forward to because, to be quite honest, as I said before, I was surprised that this, these mechanisms really did not exist before. Now that we've seen more people using smart contracts, you know with the risk associated with that you know with traditional finance markets always having you know kind of a Insurance wrapper or having some sort of a sense that if things go wrong that There is some sort of protection in place was non-existent until, you know, Nexus Mutual and some of the players that have come to market recently. So this was a great conversation. Hopefully we can have you back, Hugh, to talk about how things are progressing there. And again, reach out to Hugh or go to their website to learn more. And uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks, Hugh. Jess, thank you. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter arca at arca or myself david Nage at david jn79 let us know and we'd love to obviously hear from you for additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand please visit www.ar.ca for articles marketing commentary videos and more